Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad you're here this morning. What a great time of worship. And I said this during first service. And I want to say it again here in the second service, too, that I just appreciate our worship team and just how we can have moments of reverence and just really reflective moments in our worship and the moments of celebration where we're just praising our, our Heavenly Father. And just want to say how much I really appreciate the work that they do, the time that they put in to make our worship here at Oakwood just absolutely awesome. So appreciate our worship team. We've been in a series, and this is part five of that series. It's called Inside the Lines, and we've been talking about how we can get areas of our life inside God's guidelines. And as Christians, we should desire this. As Christians, this should be on the, the growth and the uptick in our lives, that we would look more like Jesus, that we would function more like what the Bible says. And we've talked about many areas uh, through that. The last few weeks, we talked about friendships, and last week, we talked about um, sexual purity. And today, we're going to be talking about the consumption assumption, the consumption assumption. Now, if you uh, are on a sports team or if you own a business, I'm sure that you'd like to have contributors on your team rather than just consumers. You'd rather have someone that buys into what you're trying to do and that actually is a contributor to the mission. If maybe your company is about selling a product, you want someone who is committed to selling that product. You want someone who's all in with it. You want somebody who's going to work on it. You want somebody that, that is really dedicated and devoted to it. And that's the difference really between someone who is a contributor and someone who is a consumer. And if, if I say consumer, you know, in, in a business sense, you're thinking about someone that doesn't put forth effort. Maybe they don't buy in. Maybe they're not really devoted to it. They're there. You know, maybe they attend. They kind of show up, but they're not really uh, putting themselves out there and contributing to, to what the cause is for that business. And when you can find people like that, if you ask anybody that's in management or anybody that hires people, you know, man, I want to hang on to that person that's a contributor. But that person, it's a consumer. It's, well, and we want to have a church full of contributors. We want to have, have uh, uh, people that are so dedicated to the mission of Jesus Christ and the calling of Jesus Christ that we would all be contributors. This is true in so many areas of our life. You know, I, I was thinking as we uh, did a funeral Friday uh, for one of our church members here, uh, I was thinking about this. When you come to the end of uh, life and you come to a funeral and you celebrate and remember someone's life, do you remember how much they, they received? No. You talk about how much they gave. You talk about how they contributed to other people's lives. And so this, this makes sense, and I think most of us are like, yeah, yeah, I'm in on this. You know, how do we do this? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. One thing interesting when, uh, in the Bible, when it talks about the area of consuming and the area of, of finances, when God talks about that in the Bible, really all of the passages of Scripture that mention money or finances and how to manage it in your life, so many of those passages... They have nothing to do with money, and they absolutely have everything to do with what you are devoted to. The money just seems to be one of those things that distracts us, that wants our devotion dedicated in life to that end, instead of the end being the kingdom of God. You see, God's chief competition for your life and your heart and your affection, your time, your loyalty, your service, is not really the devil directly. It's oftentimes money and the belief and the faith that people put in their money. The fact is that God doesn't want something from you in this area of life. God actually wants something for you. This is so true financially. Specifically, God wants you to have peace, peace in your mind, peace in your heart, because you're going to trust Him above all other things. 
Let's see what the scripture has to say about this this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Are you going to follow along in the Oakwood app this morning? It has all the sermon notes and the scriptures there for you. If you didn't bring your Bible, just grab the one right there in front of you in the seat, those black Bibles right in front of you. Turn it to page 811. And you'll be right there in Matthew uh, chapter 6. This scripture that we're going to share today is in the middle of a passage of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, then you probably know, hey, the Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So the chapters in Matthew's gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all one sermon that, that Jesus preached And so this is right in the middle of of this wonderful passage of Scripture where Jesus is preaching this sermon. It says that he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and he began teaching and he gave us the Beatitudes and he, he talked about forgiving one another and he talked about relationships. And then right here in the middle of this, we get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. That's where we're going to begin this morning. And in my Bible, it's red letters. So anytime you see red letters in your Bible, you know this is the words of the Son of God, the words of Jesus Christ. And this is what it says. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we we read something like that. You know, I I like to use the the sports analogies a, a lot. And, you know, it's almost like, he, he's saying here, oh, you can't cheer for two teams. You can't cheer for OU and, and OSU at the same time. That's actually not what he's talking about at all. Pay attention to the wording here. It says, no one can serve two what? Two, two sports teams? No, masters. You cannot have dedication and devotion in your life to two masters. You cannot have two heads. You can't fall under the authority of two things, two different things, two, especially if they're two conflicting things. And that's why he says, you'll either hate the one, love the other, or you'll be what? You'll be devoted. You're going to be devoted to one. It'll make you despise the other. And then he says at the, at the end, of all the examples Jesus could give, it, he's like, you can't serve both God and what? And he says money. You can't serve both God and money. You see, when our trust for s- sustaining our life is in ourselves, when our trust in ourselves or our stuff, we veer off into one of two dangerous areas when it comes to the area of finances in our life. And the first one is this. The first one is consuming. The first one is consuming. And that is that we're going to spend to make ourselves feel good. We're going to spend everything that we make and then some for some of us. We do this consuming and, and we spend. We spend the money. It's amazing, as I've done financial counseling with, with couples especially, but even couples and individuals through the years, how this is an area that, that a lot of people really find struggle in. It's because if you give someone like $800, it's amazing. We will find a way to spend all $800 of it. Some of us will find a way how to spend 900 of $800. We will overspend it. You could up the ante a little bit. You could say, well, you know, what if you give someone $1,500? They will find a way to spend all $1,500 of it. And in some cases there, they're going to spend $1,800 of that $1,500. And then we get into payments, and then we get into credit, and then we get into debt. It doesn't matter what the, if the amount is small or the amount is large. We have this tendency that we're consumers, 
And oftentimes, when that becomes unbridled in our life, it gets a little bit out of control, can send us to financial ruin. So God's given us some guidelines here. The second dangerous area that we can get into is an area that I call hoarding. Okay, we're actually hoarding. Now, hoarding is saving as much as you can out of fear of needing it later. And so you save everything. I know there's been television shows in the past, you know, hoarding, bury alive, people that just keep everything that they have. Now, here's the thing is, these two get married together, and, and, uh, and you see this, and we call them spenders, right? The consumers, the spenders, or the savers, which can be hoarders. Both have very negative consequences when they're taken to an extreme. You see, consuming with an unbridled desire can lead to debt, which leads to debt in so many people's lives. But then on the other side, that hoarding is this fear, living in fear that I'm not going to have enough, and so you you save everything that you can. You just hoard everything. You would never be generous. You would never give something away to someone because you're hoarding it and you're saving it only for yourself. And both consuming with unbridled desire and hoarding are centered around one thing, not trusting God's provision for your life. If you don't trust God's provision for your life, you can get sucked into these two areas. And the root of this is the same for both of them. And it's an ever-feared, it's kind of a dirty word in the English language, especially in the church we don't like. And it's the G word, it's the word greed. Nobody likes a greedy person. No one ever wants to hear someone say, well, you're greedy. Well, you're, you're really struggling with greed. And Jesus teaches on this a lot in the Bible because a lot of what Jesus is talking about is this fight between what we need and what we may actually greed, what we go for that's more or excessive. And it's amazing because in the Bible, if you read it, the Bible talks more about money than it talks about heaven or hell or angels or demons. It's because God knew what he was dealing with here. It's because this consuming and this hoarding and getting outside of God's guidelines for it can lead to greed. So let's define greed this morning. Greed is living with the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Living with the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That could be now, consuming. It could be later, which could be hoarding. But both are emotionally driven out of what? Greed is oftentimes driven out of fear. Either the unbridled desire to make happiness and joy and to create something in my life, or this fear of I'm never going to have enough. And this becomes our chief pursuit. This becomes our chief reliance in life. And if you are fueled by greed, then both of these areas, these ditches, they leave you living as if there is no God. And this happens to a lot of people sometimes until trouble comes. And when trouble comes, we often will pay more attention to God. Financially speaking, God is a lot of people's backup financial plan. You know, when something really bad happens financially, when I get into some trouble financially, then we have this tendency to try to get really cozy with God at that time. We pray more than we prayed before, and God, provide. God, you got to get me out of this, and I know I've spent on this, and I haven't been managing my fund's right. I know I haven't been, been, been given to you like you have commanded me to do as a believer, but, you know, Lord, I'm going to pray. And you pray more, and you show up at church more. Start showing up at church. You even enroll in the financial classes that we offer. Oh, now I'm going to get in the financial, financial class. And it's just human nature that when we encounter these problems, we were like, God, you know, God, oh, stay with me, God. Stay with me. God, help me. 
But the fact is, God doesn't want to be just your helper. He wants to be the master and the Lord of your life. And so if the only time you think that you call upon God or or reach out to God is when you need help, just remember, he wants to help you, yes, but he wants to be your master and your savior and not just your helper. And God understands that he's going to have to break the mastery in our life that this money and this financial situation can cause. And to do that, because God is all-knowing, he knows what to do, he knows I have to break the power of greed in people's lives. I have to break the power of greed. So how is he going to do, who, how is he going to do that? We're going to talk about that and share some real uh, practical things this morning. The guideline against greed is this. To reprioritize your financial world with God first, with God at the absolute top of it. The guideline against greed is to reprioritize your financial world with God at the top. Simply put, I'm going to give you three things this morning. Simply, simply put, okay? Really helpful, really easy, okay? The first thing you need to do is you need to give. You need to give to God. He has to be the first. He wants to be the most. He wants to be priority in your life. So whatever you get income-wise, Scripture tells us to give to God. So we're going to give to God first. The second one is to save. The second part of this is to save. We're going to actually save a little bit. We're going to save some for an emergency. We're going to save for the future. Um, In the study notes for today's sermon uh, that we put out for uh, small groups and stuff, I, I share in there, I can't remember how many, it's like 20 or 30 Scriptures from Proverbs. That, that talk about these financial things. And a lot of those talk about saving. And so if you want to learn more about that, uh, you can get those, get those notes online on our website. So we have give and then we have save. And the last one is live. But the thing is they have to stay in this number order. They have to stay in this party. We're going to give first. We're going to save second. And we're going to live on the rest. We're going to give first. We're going to save second. The third thing we're going to do is live. And we practice this in percentages. The Bible gives us a guideline in the book of Malachi. It says to bring the tithe to the Lord. Bring the whole tithe, the whole 10% of your income into the storehouse to the Lord. We can bring offerings. We can bring more. A generous heart to someone who God blesses. But we're at least at the bare minimum requirement for Christians is that we would give 10% to the Lord. Another, The reason we say 10, 10, 80 is the other 10% we'd like to put into savings. Have that emergency fund in there for when the, the car needs a repair, the washing machine goes out, we'd have that money there and we wouldn't have to constantly be just spending every dollar that we get. You know, in that cycle, man, I get $800, I got to spend $800. Instead of doing that, it's like I get $800, I'm giving 80 to the Lord and then I'm going to keep 80 for myself and we're going to live on the rest of it and make that work. And it's amazing how when you do this, these things work out. And the, and the, the thing is, God gives you the majority to live on. I mean, the, the majority of the money, whether you are generous to God and give 15 or 20%, or generous to your savings and save 20%, you're still going to have more in that live or that spend category. But if we all live this way, and we allow God to lead us in this, then what we were saying is, God, you are first and best and highest priority in my life, and I will not be owned by anything else, including my stuff. And this puts consumption... This puts hoarding after God. My girls are getting this concept from my wife um, since the time they were very, very little. We feel like this was an important area to develop them in. They're now 16, 12, and 10. But we've been working on this since they're very little. And I, I have a slide. I want to show you a picture of these jars that we made for them. And the jars say, give, save, and spend. 
And we make it really simple for them that when they get an allowance or they get some kind of income, maybe they did some extra work, maybe they mowed the lawn for dad, you know, and we would, we would pay them for that, give them some income for that. They know right now, I mean, and, and, and from the time they're very young, and even up until now, they're going to take that money and they're going to put it in these three jars. And they know that at least 10% goes in the gift jar, and that's the first jar. That's the first one we always give to is give. That's God's money. He's the one that gave you the ability to earn. He's the one that gave you your talents and abilities. He's the one that put you in your position where you can earn income. And so because of that belief and that trust that we have in God, then we're always giving to God first. He gets the first 10%. If you want to be more generous to God, you can put more in that jar, but he's at least getting that first 10%. The next jar, the save. We encourage our girls to save, whether they're saving for a car, they're saving for college, or they're saving for some shoes that they want. It's, it's, we're going to teach them not to go get credit card to Old Navy, and then buy what you want. We're not going to do that. We're going to save for what we want from Old Navy. And then we'll just go out and buy it with cash. And we actually spend the money that we have because we have what? We have saved it. It's a good, it's a good principle of responsibility. And then spend the rest. And my girls think that is awesome. Now, when they're very little, they're like, well, wait a second, Dad. If God's the best and the biggest and the priority in our lives, then why do we give him one of the lowest amounts? We give him the lowest amount. Why, you know, and it's like God said that he knows what we need. He wants to take care of us. And so this is just a way, a guideline for us to know that, that God says 10%, the first, the best, the, the, the highest, 10% for me, at least 10% to savings, and then you can spend the rest. The rest of it is for you to live on. Now, why would a preacher teach his kids about this. Why would this be a priority for Amy and I to teach our kids about this from a very small age? I mean, do you think we teach this to the kids because, you know, the church needs my kids' money? I mean, do you think this is because the church needs their dollar and 40 cents? You know, that, that's why we do this. Now, here I want to tell parents, I want to challenge parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, all of you who have influence on the next generation. Why should you do this now? Because admit it, a lot of us grew up and we didn't have this kind of training. We didn't have this in our lives. We didn't have any, any guidelines here. Why would we want to make sure that our children, and maybe even our children's children, give to God, give to the ministry of the church, and bring the whole tithe into the storehouse before they save them? It's because for all of our kids' lives, their chief competition in their heart, their chief com competitor with God is going to be their pursuit of stuff. And if you don't believe me, go look at some 18 to 25-year-olds and see what it's all about. See how, much, see how much stuff they're acquiring. See how much debt they're incurring because they have to buy the house, the car, and have to have the education from the prestigious university. You see, I don't want my girls to be owned by what they own. I, I, I don't want them to have ownership issues because I've seen way too many adults ruin their lives, ruin their futures with this. It's because I know that giving to God is the key to true financial independence in life. Because you have independence from the belief that life equals how much stuff you get. You have independence from a lifestyle that leaves God out except for emergencies. Aren't we guilty of that? There's so many people that are even Christians that we leave God out except when we have an emergency. It's independence from a life that only serves self first, and God gets the leftovers. And I know that for the rest of their lives, money will be God's primary competitor for their heart. And I don't want money to win. 
I, I don't want to look at them in the future some, some time and see them choosing money over their marriage or money over you know, my grandkids someday. I don't want them to be slaves to consumer debt and have the stress of a monthly payment that just keeps coming every month. I don't want them to be owned by their stuff. I don't want their stuff to ever own them. And the Bible shows us how to do this. And it's you reprioritize your life. And you give to God first. Because in the Bible, God is a giver and God expects His people to be givers. This is a guideline that can truly change everything in your life. You will prioritize more of the things of heaven than of earth if you start practicing this in your life. These are the lines. The challenge is, are you going to make the decision to put your faith in God only and get inside of His guidelines? Now let's pay even closer attention to this. Matthew chapter 6, let's go back to the Scripture. So we read verse 24, let's read it again. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He goes into this next part, Jesus does. He's talking about not being anxious and not worrying. And he gets to the end of that section, and we're going to skip down to, 30, to uh, verse 31. So just a couple minutes later, from verse 24, get down to verse 31, and it says this. And this is Jesus, he's still speaking. He says, therefore, because of all of this I've just taught you, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or, what shall we drink? Or, what shall we wear? What are those questions of? Those are questions of fear. Those are questions of hoarding. Those are the questions that, you know, let, let's take this into the, today. What kind of questions would we be asking today? How are we going to pay for college? How am I going to pay for a bigger home? Oh my, we need to upgrade our vehicle. How are we going to get new furniture for the bigger house? Because now we have empty rooms that don't have any furniture or any wall hangings. And, and how are we going to clothe these kids? And how are we going to feed them? And how are we going to be able to afford the band instrument? How are we going to be able to afford the uniform and the t-shirt? And Jesus is saying through all this, I don't want money to steal your joy. I don't want money to steal your peace. I don't want it to consume your thinking. I don't want money to keep you up at night worrying about metal and paper and pictures of some guys on it that you'll never meet. I don't want money to be what you are serving. I want God, my Father, to be who you are serving and who you are going after every day. And so he says, therefore, do not be anxious about these things, about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what, we, what are we going to wear. And look what it says in verse 32. It says, for the Gentiles. In the NIV, it used the words pagan there. It says, for the pagans seek after all these things. So those that do not recognize God as boss in, in their life, as He is their Lord, He is their Master, their Savior, they're referred to as pagans. So basically, if we're being honest this morning, Jesus just called you a Gentile or a pagan if you worry and stress about money. In fact, He might give you a nickname. You are now Pagan the Hordarian. Thank you for the three people that got that. And your he and the, so it goes on here. So Jesus says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, the God of the universe that controls all things and knows all things and works all things together, he says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows that you need to eat. He knows that you need a shelter to keep you out of the cold and to keep you cool in, in the summer. He knows that you need clothing. And here's where the true question of faith comes in. Do you believe that? Do you think that God actually knows your need? 
Do you think God cares about what you need? Does God know that you need a place to live? Does he think about ways that he could put your kids through college? Does he know that you need to eat food and to, to drink water? Does he actually do these things? And you say, well, well yeah, well, maybe, well, I'm not sure. Then where's your faith? These are all questions of faith. Do you actually believe God is who he says he is? That he'll do what he has promised to do? Because he says, hey, even the pagans seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then you go to verse 33. And I love what it says in verse 33. It starts out with this wonderful word, but. Here's how I'm going to change this, Jesus is saying. Here's what it really boils down to. So get on the edge of your seat and catch it this morning. He says, but seek first. What does that mean? To seek something first. That means we're going to reprioritize our life. We're going to rearrange our life. We're going to reorder our life. We're going to do something different. We're going to put something else at the top of the list. We're going to put something else out in front of everything else. And Jesus says, but seek first. What? What, Lord? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God will take care of the rest. You just put him first in everything. Even in this area of finance, you put them first. But what are we, how are we going to pay for college? You put them first. Seek for his kingdom and his righteousness. You put them first. All these things will be taken care of by your heavenly Father. Well, I don't know how they're going to be taken care of. He does. That's why he's God and you're not. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The translation here is that Jesus is saying, Put God first in your finances, and he will be involved financially with you. But if you put him second or third in your finances, then you're on your own. And you can ask, we'd have testimonies, line up people in the church and say, how was life on your own? And they can tell you horror stories of how their life was before they were giving to the Lord and making him first and making him the priority in their life. You see, so many people, they want to claim to be Christians. Oh, I'm a Christian, and you look at this and look at that. Look at their finances. Is God the priority, or is it Mathis Brothers? Is God the priority, is it Bank of Oklahoma for the home mortgage? Generally speaking, people learn to start giving, and it's really funny to me sometimes, but people really learn to start giving when they're getting into financial trouble and problems or when they're just coming out of it. It seems like when people can afford it the least. I had somebody that just a few months ago in the spring, uh, we, we were talking about this topic of finances. He was sharing with me that he had started a business. His business wasn't doing very well at all, and he was about to close it down, and so he thought, you know, crazy. At the time where I could afford it the least, I decided to start tithing. I'm going to start tithing. He says, start tithing. Now his business completely turned around. He's making triple what he was before. The business is stable and everything's working out. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that he decided, you know what, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to trust God, put him first. But do what the Bible says. I'm going to actually test God in this and just see if it's crazy enough that God will still take care of me and my family. When we go through these times of making these decisions, we struggle. Sometimes when there's massive debt, that's when we'll start tithing. Sometimes when we've made some poor decisions, we decide, I want God to get involved. That's when we'll start giving and, and start, start putting him at the top of the list. So what I want to do to, to end this morning, I just want to give you three very practical things to do. This goes right along with the give, the save, and the live concept. The first one is this, okay? Give before you save or spend. You write that check first. 
Okay, God wants to be the priority in your life. And there, I'm just here to tell you, there's something supernatural that happens inside your heart when you trust God like this. When you trust God, there's something supernatural. When you actually put Him first, and you say, well, I put Him first in every area of my life, but not my finances. When you put Him first in this area, and you give Him first and best and 10% off the top, a generous percentage of your income, then, then you are saying, God, I want you to be first in my life. I want to make sure your kingdom and your concerns get funded first. And I'm going to trust that you will help me figure out a way to live on the rest of my income. And you're going to make the rest work for me and you're going to make it stretch better and you're going to make it be just just blow my mind and how it's going to provide for me and my family. But I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you more than I am money. And so there's no more leftovers for you. No more leftovers for God. I'm not giving him, if I have something left over, I'm giving him first. And I'm going to show the priority and I'll be able to hand my checkbook to anyone. They're going to see the priority of God in my life. If God were a guest at your home for lunch today after church, would you serve him leftovers? That's a crazy question. No, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd, you would like spend the most money you've ever spent in the world on the most wonderful meal because the God of the universe who sent His Son to die on a cross for you to save you, to have and restore a broken relationship with you is coming to your house. No, you're going to use the fine china. You're going to bring the, the best of the best. You're not going to give them the leftovers. Why would you do this in other areas of your life then? We give first and best to God because He deserves it. He loves us so much, he gave us Jesus. There's several ways to give to, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm dating it by saying, hey, write that check first, because how many people write checks nowadays? So what we're going to do is we put up a slide, and we share this at Discover Oakwood, um, that shows you all the different ways that you can give. Check out all the ways you can give. I mean, churches have made this so easy for people now to remove all the excuses. Um, you know, I don't have a checkbook anymore. Fine, okay? Uh, well, you can still give in person. We still pass plates here. Uh, use that time as worship and honoring God in our finance. You can still give in a plate if you want to do that. Write a check, give cash, put it in a plate, uh, put it in an envelope. You can do it by mail. Some people do it by mail. I've never understood that myself, but some people do it. They do it faithfully, and um, th that's just the way they have chosen to give. Sometimes it's because they travel. Um, and if they're traveling, they want to they do that. It's really easy nowadays to give online. You can give online at myoakwood.org. That's the way that, that I prefer to give is online. You can now actually do it through the same through the app. If you go to Oakwood Enid and, and go into our app, download the app, there's a place for you to give. It's really easy, really fast to set up. Uh, you can also text Oakwood Enid to 77977. You could do that right now, 77977, and send in the body of the text Oakwood Enid, and it will pop you up and set you up an account where you could give just, just right now. And not to mention that we have boxes by the doors in the back because uh, we had volunteers that say, hey, we missed the offering every week. We don't know where to put our check. The counters have already taken the offerings to count them after church. And we don't know where to go. Where do we put it? You drop it in the box in the back by the doors. I mean, we have tried to make it easy and remove any boundary, any excuse <laughs> that you're trying to come up with. And you're like, well, you know, I wasn't ready with my check. And I don't, you know, it's, it's like you have six different ways that you can give to God's church. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times we automate the importance. So many people automate their house payment now. What about automating your tithe to the Lord? What about making that a priority that first and best and most, and I'm not even going to have, have to think about it. I'm just going to give to the Lord, and that is just going to be a priority. That's going to be in my budget. That's going to be the first thing that I do every month. Listen to what it says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 8 and 11, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap 
generously. And, and farmers and, 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 and those types that grow things, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. If you plant more, you stand a better chance of reaping a better harvest and, and more food and more plants. Each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves what? He loves a cheerful giver. Someone that loves him so much and is excited to bless the Lord. And it says, and God is able to do what? To make all grace abound to you so that what? So that in all things, when? When? At all times, having what? Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You'll be made rich in what way? In what way will we be made rich? In every way. So that you can be generous when? Generous when? When can I be generous? On every occasion. And through us... Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God because people will look at a Christian and look even at a church and see their generosity and see that they love Jesus and look how blessed they are because they're giving a priority to the Lord. It's an act of worship and it's an act of faith. But give before you save and spend. Don't wait till the end. Don't give God the leftovers. The second thing you need to do is you write the next check to yourself. You write the next check to you. It's called savings. Again, I know that this may seem antiquated because I'm saying write, write the check, but you, know, you need to put some money away for savings. Put some money away for the future. Savings isn't bad. Savings is not a dirty word or a bad thing. It's when you trust more in your savings, you begin to get to a level where you're hoarding it and living for it and looking forward to it. And that is when it gets out of priority and you're entering into a, this area of greed. There are many verses in the Bible that talk about preparing for the future, being smart with your money. How much is enough? Well, it says to, to have a legacy that you could pass on to the future. And, and so you would have future giving to the Lord and His work. And so savings is a good thing. We should save. 10, 10, 80. We're going to give. We're going to save. And the last one is live on the rest. Live on the rest. If you're a consumer, this is your part. The biggest portion you get to consume. God knows that you need money to live on. He knows that you need water. He knows that you need food. He gives you the biggest portion of what He provides for you. He gave you all your talents and abilities and all of your earnings and all your ability to make money. He's given that to you. He gives you the biggest portion to live on. Here's the truth this morning. Financial independence is living as if your ultimate dependence is on the Lord and not on your money. Everybody would, would tout that and say, yeah, I want financial independence in my life. Then it's as if you're living for the Lord and you're not living for money. Your ultimate dependence is on God and not on how much is in your checking account or in your savings account. And here's something to think about. If we all did this, if every Christian obeyed God and lived this out, then we together as individual Christians, and even more so as a body of believers, if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and do the things the Bible tells us to do, we could build lots of orphanages for kids that don't have parents. We could build even more churches around the world in the Philippines. Paul Wilson, we could fund his ministry well. We could have even more church plants right here in the U.S. in areas that don't have churches that need them. We would never, ever, ever have to have a capital campaign to upgrade or fix anything with our facility because it would already be taken care of. If there was an economic downturn, we could help families survive. We could do so much. And you think about this this morning. This would not require anything extraordinary from anyone. But it would require obedience from everyone. 
And I'm here to tell you this morning that Amy and I, were in. And my kids, all three of them, are in. And we're asking you this morning, would you get in as well? Because if we as a church are all in, I'm telling you, amazing things will happen. Generosity unleashed in a body of believers will accomplish things for the kingdom of God that you can't even imagine. We're going to put together a big challenge as a church for Christmas this year. You're going to hear about it on November 12th. I'm interviewing Paul Wilson that day. And we're going to have a big challenge, a big goal ahead of us. And it's going to be awesome to see how the generosity of God's people, when we pull that together, can really build God's kingdom. God knows you need money to survive. He knows, and he wants to provide that for you. He knows what you need, but he knows that you really need, what you really need is him even more than anything else in this world. And so as Christians, we're going to give first. We're going to save second. We're going to live on the rest. And we're going to set up and get inside God's lines of guidance in our life to guard against greed. And we're going to examine our hearts right now and say, what do we really treasure? What do we really treasure? What do we really value? Because listen to what it says in Matthew 6.21. Just three verses before where we started this morning in the scripture. Matthew 6.21. Jesus said this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure this morning? It needs to be in God. 